where are you? Where were you born? Uh, Israel, <laughs> but thanks. <laughs> were, were you really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, you're just so like international. I had no idea. Like, ser- like, w- when did you move from there? Uh, I was three, so I w- it wasn't really my choice. Uh, when I when I moved from Israel. Um, yeah, wouldn't have been a hoot if it was your choice. <laughs> yeah, it's like mother, father. <laughs> I have made a decision for the family. <laughs> um, where'd you move? Uh, yeah, well, basically, my parents figured that it would be uh, better education, and also I wouldn't have to necessarily join the army uh, if I moved to uh, the UK, uh, Wales specifically. Um, and yeah, I didn't know really anything else other than Wales. I went back to Israel every year or several times a year to visit, visit my family, my grandmother um, and auntie and stuff like that. But yeah, I was basically brought up Welsh. Yeah, you don't strike me as a military type no. for as long as I've known you and talked to you. You are yeah. one of the most like kind, lovable people I've ever met. But uh, oh, thank you. You're, you're currently based out of Germany, right? Yeah, Frankfurt, Germany. Uh, I moved here three and a half years ago, and uh, I don't plan on, on leaving. But again, it, you know, it's not always my decision what I do. <laughs> so, Ilan, would you say that your accent uh, is Welsh? No. Well, no, no. Like, there's, there's, like, there's North Wales and there's South Wales. But like, where I am in North Wales, it's like on the border to England. Um, so we have a very anglicized Welsh accent. So what will happen is if I get that passionate about something, there'll be like one word that suddenly stands out and it's like, hang on, who pronounces words like that? You know? Um, so if I get that excited about something, a bit of Welsh comes out. Um, but similarly I've lived in Liverpool. I lived in Liverpool for four years, five years before moving here. So depending on what the conversation is, something will come out that sounds really scouse. So effectively just get me excited about stuff and see where my voice goes. You know? So, I mean, has, has German creeped into the lexicon of village? <laughs> um, you get excited, you know, um, <laughs> Get me angry. <laughs> Whatever yeah. the conversation is, if I sound angry, maybe some German accent will come out. Um, but no, I, I, I'm told from my partner, Mariam, says that when I try to do a German voice uh, or, yeah. or speak in German, I have a very local sounding voice. Uh, so I have like the local accent. But for me, it's not an accent. I'm just saying the words you're telling me to say. So... Um, so yeah, I'm a bit of a hybrid. Well, if, if we've learned anything in this two minute conversation, you adapt, Dylan. That's what you do. (laughs) Um, I guess, I guess whatever I need to to survive, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a, I'm a blank canvas when I move to an area and I just let the area, uh, mold me. How is how is June in Germany? What's a German June like? Um, so far, uh, for a Welsh guy, it's intolerably hot. Really, um, it's, it's it's uncomfortable. I, you know, you move just a little bit, and you, the sweat starts pouring off you. So, um, any moving is is it has to be a a necessity. It, it's horrible. Uh, to be honest, I just came back from uh, Annecy, France. I spent a month in Annecy working. 
during the animation festival. And then oh, right. you're next to a giant lake in the mountains. And it's also ridiculously hot there too. But there's a beautiful lake that you can just go and hang out in. But here in Frankfurt, we're pretty much landlocked. Uh, yeah. So there's no there's no cool breeze coming from anywhere. It's just it's just it's horrible heat from every direction. I love a cool breeze. That's you fun, can't underestimate dude. a cool breeze. Um, when they're gone, they're gone. We we have so many microclimates out here that like where we live is hell. It's just hot all the time, stagnant. I go to work and I pick up a, my buddy who lives over in Pacifica, who's literally like a walk away from the, the ocean and it is always foggy and so cool and nice. And then I drive down into the dog patch where it is again, humid and gross. It, it It's torture. I hate it. Yeah. Five, five miles could be a temperature drop of 15 degrees. Easily. Oh yeah. Or you go into like a weird little pocket town like Brisbane out here and it's got its own climate. It might, it might be raining everywhere and sunny there. And it, it I don't know. It feels unnatural. Yeah. But it, you know, it's funny that you called ill and adaptable because I've, uh, we were talking. So again, for everybody listening, I, uh, forced Ilan to hang out with us for a while today because we've been dealing with a difficult guest and juggling stuff. And I was like, dude, we should just fucking hang out with Ilan because I, for the film fest. Now I should say, uh, Ilan joined us for a five and did all of that amazing art. He's a fantastic artist. And because he lives in Germany, our time difference is so uh, abrasive that I would just get up early. I'm like, fuck it. it. It makes me feel like I'm doing something important when I wake up at like five or as Ilan knows when I'm attempting to wake up at five. Yeah. And uh, we'll just talk in the morning and have coffee and we get on these crazy tangents. And I believe it was on Friday. So yesterday we were talking and the, the, Art always comes up. You know, I'm a huge fan of art. I got the Molly Hatchet cover out there in the hallway yes, from a beautiful Frank Frazetta. And I don't know how we got on it, but I started asking him about his signature in his art. And, you know, Ilan comes from, a, and I'll let you tell this story, Ilan, but he does mostly design work for other people. So he's not like an artist who's filling up a gallery with paintings. So a lot of it has to be adaptable. And part of that is he, he hides his signature in his art. So actually, um, what was it? Is it one-armed? Um, I always get the one-armed part right, but I can't remember one the rest. Boxer, one-armed boxer. I, I dare anybody listening to pull up his cover of One-Armed Boxer, which um, just Google it. It's the best one. And try and find his signature on there. While I was talking to him yesterday, I had it zoomed in. I couldn't find it. So, Oksana, as a producer, I hope you're doing that right now. I see her trying. She's straining. But yeah, Ilan, I mean, I think you're, uh, we were talking about it. Like, new artists are mercenaries. You got to be adaptable. Yeah. I, I, I blame, I blame, again, my background, because when I was working in a design agency, um, whereas most artists, um, they, they find their style, they find a way they work in, they perfect it, and, um, they're recognizable for that style. But because I was working in a design agency, it was very important that uh, I didn't have a house style. So if I worked on this campaign, then it had its own unique look. And then when I jumped onto that campaign, it would have its own unique look. It wouldn't be, hang on, this looks just like the, the other client's work, you know? So I had it drilled into my head that every time I start a project, it needs to 
be completely independent from everything else that, that you've made. And then when I started working for myself as a freelancer, I still had that mentality. So when someone comes to me with a project, I don't think, okay, how can I, how can I, how can I can do this in my style? Instead, I think, right, what would be a great style for that to be in? Uh, and then I start practicing or, or, or trying out a style for it until I perfect it that way. But it just means that every time I do something, I feel like, you know, when oh, this is going to sound really pretentious, but you know, when um, you, you hear about um, Van Gogh's different periods, you know, or when someone goes through a blue, a blue phase or something like that, it feels like every project has its own point in, my, in, in time for me. So I'm always going through a phase when I'm working on a specific project. And then when and you, gone, I'm gone. And you have both your ears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some women. <laughs> so now was that something that, okay, so we've been, man, I am a person who I love art. I love all forms of it. I love paper art. And I am untalented, and I've tried to draw. It is horrific. I've never seen you draw. It, it, there's a reason why. I am not an illustrator. So what I end up doing is trying to be friends with a lot of artists, and I end up trying to get them to draw me stuff. And I, I love wading into different um, styles. And, you know, I mean, all of our early Overlook stuff was with the gross uncle. No relation yeah. to Uncle Frank. But he's got a very particular style. Great style. And I remember... Yeah. He he's one of the many artists I've known who went to um, some sort of like art college and he echoed what I heard a lot where they try to teach you out of your style, where they try Ooh. to break any kind of particular like, I mean, Grant's got a very um, specific style. He does like weird long noses. Uh, there's almost no bones in his human form. And I just remember him telling like all his instructors were just kind of like, no, you got to. It's got to look like this, especially out here with the Art Institute. And oh, I'm wearing a Grant right now. Oh, you are wearing Grant. Yeah. Nos you got the Nosferatu. Nosferatu. And a um, skateboard. Uh, and it, it's interesting because what I hear every artist say is, you know what they taught me is how to work, like cool. how to just keep working. And then they, they kind of ignore all the other stuff. I'm, I'm curious if it was similar like that for you. Yeah. I, I, when I was in art college, um, it, cause I, there was things I didn't like drawing cause I think everyone who goes to art college has, um, uh, is comfortable drawing whatever they're comfortable drawing with. And at the time, I, I think I hated drawing noses. Like if I was drawing cartoon characters or, or illustrations, like the nose always looked ugly. So I had a style, which meant. What about penises? <laughs> I mean, that was great art. Um, that's how I got in. That's how I, I was about to say that's, 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 <laughs> that's day one. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I suppose when it comes to college lecturers, they just want to know that, you know, the principles, um, they want to know that, you know, color theory. They want to know that, you know, how to even navigate the page with things like layouts and stuff like that. And funny enough, with gross, gross uncle, when I watch a lot of his TikToks where he's actually drawing the work and, and he's, he, 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 I think he live streams it or something. Yeah. I watch yeah. him. It's, it's funny because his, like when, as he starts drawing, instantly I get a little pang of anxiety where it's like, you've drawn that too low. You're going to run out of space. 
<laughs> because because I remember my art lecturer is always saying kind of like you got to be able to fit the whole model on the page. Now that as an as an adult artist now, I know that that's not always the case. You don't always need to do that, but you still have the voice of the lecturers telling you to need to make sure that everything can fit in it. Don't suddenly have the legs dangling off the edge or something like that. So when he draws his characters and he's getting closer to the edge and I can see the kneecap is only half an inch from the bottom of the page. I'm like, this is impossible. Where is he, he going to put the feet? But, but then he puts the feet in and it looks great. It looks like, it's like he's, uh, he's mastered it somehow. Yeah, you know, that was another thing too. Growing up, I had a lot of friends who did like cartoon illustration or like came from comic books and none of them did the like sketch of a skeleton. And I, you know, I would see people who are like more serious artists who would always do it or like, I don't know if, the, if that's a comic book thing. But like Grant's one of those dudes who he seemed to already have the image in his head and could just like put it on the page. Yeah, I always I always wonder. Instagram is an interesting creature because um, I mean, I bought a lot of art books from artists I really like. I'm a huge fan of uh, Frank Fazetti, as you mentioned, but also like Boris Viejo as well. And whenever they release like a sketchbook, I'd go through the sketches and I think like, oh my God, this sketchbook is incredible. And in my head, I'd think that all sketchbooks that I do have to be as good as this. But the reality of it is that they're, that they're planned out. They go through all the sketches like, well, I'm not putting that one in. That one looks terrible. Um, but then when you've got the final product and all these perfect sketches, that's not what they would probably have in front of them. They would probably have the terrible mistakes and things that they gave up halfway and things like that. So, so there's a, so it's almost like how there's an Instagram filter world where this is how, um, how attractive people look. And this is also how artist sketchbooks are supposed to look. Now, whenever I see, um, um, anyone doing live sketches, I always wonder in my head out of sight, is there like the drawing already? You know what I mean? <laughs> Have they already drawn it like eight times before they started pressing record and going with it? Or are they just live streaming their thought process? And, you know, it's always interesting to know what the reality is. With Gross Uncle, though, I get the impression that he is literally just, um, just spawning an image there and then in front of you. Oh, yeah. When he first started those videos, he was doing them out of laundry mats. Yeah. 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 It was, it was super. He would go there, do his laundry, and then make a video. It was perfect. Uh, before we lose this track, Ellen, what the hell is color theory? <laughs> um, oh, don't, oh, don't get me started. <laughs> um, so basically, basically, it's about, you know, uh, picking the color palettes, um, whether it's going to be a warm color palette, whether adding this color will make. Uh, like, like adding a, a, a tiny splash of green will suddenly make the red become more vibrant just because of the contrast. Um, I mean, as a graph, as somebody comes from graphic design, uh, my style tends to deliberately work with limited color palettes. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't like to use all the crayons in the box. So in my mind, I'd be like, right, so if I stick with the reds and yellows, but put like a little bit of purple or blue in there just as a, a contrasting color. And as long as I stick with it, it'll, it'll I'll have the image that I want. I, I don't know. I, I don't have an explanation better than that. Well, as an example, the really successful uh, overused um, film poster combination of blue and orange. 
or right. blue and yellow. You know, you see them a lot um, in the last 15 years, I think. You see a lot of those kind of like big budget movies where they're using blue and yellow, blue and yellow, blue and yellow. Uh, that's just using color theory. Yeah, another thing I can't do because <laughs> I I'm waiting. colorblind. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> I don't know. How do I describe? I don't know. So <laughs> I don't know how to describe. Yeah. No, I no, I think that I um, I like bright, bold colors because everything kind of runs together. Greens okay. and reds. Oh boy. I mean, let me tell you something. Dylan. There are some stoplights. It's a challenge, but. <laughs> Um, you know, stuff that really stands out. That's why I think when I was a child, I was just drawn to Technicolor. Right. Um, because it, it hit me in the face because, um, they found out that I was colorblind while I was looking for, um, Easter eggs and I couldn't find them. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's how they were like, okay, Clark, it's right in front of you. Hey, they were charitable. They could have just been like, he's an idiot. <laughs> that's, that's also true. So you're not like completely colorblind. There's a there's an area of the spectrum where it kind of gets. I don't I don't know how that works. Yeah, does it, does it yeah. The one color or something. Yeah, stuff stuff just kind of blends together. Um, and I I feel like though if I can sit there and stare at it for a little bit, <laughs> I, I I can I can make some minor distinguishing factors between the two. But yeah, that's why I just. It, it is also, I think it's just affected my brain and how I just process things. And also you throw in the ADD. I just <laughs> overlook a lot of things. Everything just kind of runs together. Well, this is, a, this is something that's important when coming up with a lot of these designs anyways, that you're supposed to consider somebody who is colorblind when you design your artwork too, because you, you need to make sure that the contrast is still there. So something yeah. that's very clear for somebody who has full spectrum visibility is that the right narrative? <laughs> <Sure. laughs> um uh, so somebody who can see all the colors is like yeah my eye immediately goes to that area because of the design but if does that still work in black and white so it's uh it's it's important factor to consider that's hilarious i just imagine you five years old staring at an egg in a grassy field and you know adults like he's an idiot like something's right and they're like no no he's just colorblind well it's not like i, I tried to eat the plastic <laughs> egg so that was that was a plus they didn't jump to the idea that you just couldn't see eggs <laughs> yeah <laughs> it must be the color surely <laughs> oh ovals get him every time so, Alan, now since we're talking about like color design and like complementary colors like that's pretty much what every sports team uses right like green and yellow i'm guessing are complementary for the uh, athletics. I think I I don't know the origins of football team colors, but I believe different areas have different colors that they associate with. Oh, I but doubt then, it. It's kind of all teams right? in every area. Like, I don't, like, why do we have like maroon out here? Is it what the hell is the Niner color? It's like it's it was. I would, I would say me. it's scarlet. Yeah, it's like scarlet and gold. Yeah, I'm like that's not coming out of anything. Like, well, the gold maybe. For like the 49er. Yeah. But I think it's all marketing. I think, like, again, I'm, I'm from Liverpool. Um, so <laughs> I, I know, for example, that you've got Everton and Liverpool Football Club. So you've got one team blue, one team red, and that's their main colors. And there's a lot of politics, but there's also a lot of religious annotations to kind of like oh. the teams, especially when it comes to Ireland and you know, the, the Catholics. And anyway, so, so. 
um, a lot of people in Liverpool, they're very pro anything that's advertised as being blue. And similarly, if you, like, for example, if you were doing a, a campaign for something, if you were advertising something in Liverpool and you put too much red on that advert, then Evertonians will immediately start looking at it with, a, with a, an air of skepticism because like clearly they're trying to get the red vote. You know what I mean? So, and the, and the reverse of that is if you're trying to do something with a lot of blue in the advert, um, then yeah, a large portion of the, the, the locals will think, oh, that's an Evertonian thing. So there's, in terms of local teams, it's not about contrasting colors. And I don't think their focus is on, all right, what kind of color palette shall we use for this team? It's a case of what colors are available that don't look too much like our neighboring teams oh, or, or, or our, our rivals. You know what I mean? Uh, and maybe there's some history to it in terms of crests and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't think anyone's sitting in a meeting and saying, I want magenta. <laughs> <laughs> but Russ, you bring up a good point about marketing because that's why McDonald's colors are red and yellow. Yeah. Because they did extensive marketing research that apparently the combination of red and yellow makes one hungry. Now, how they came to that conclusion, I do not know, mm -hmm. but it's all part of that. Well, okay. To bring it back to film, where did the like, also, you know, Clark, you mentioned where you need like vibrant color. I would figure you'd be more of a Nicholas Reffin fan. Like, no, I do, but he, he gets a little, he gets a little toothy, you know, sometimes yeah. it's just like, you know, that, 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 um, exhausting Amazon series he did. Oh Yeah. I was like, okay, enough. I'm into it. I, let's revisit it. We got a free 18 hours, right? Oh, my <laughs> God. No, but I feel like he started or he at least revived or created this whole like retro purple and pink. Like neon noir. Is that yeah, what he called it? Like, what is that? What would you call that palette from Drive? That like is just it persists to oh, now. Yeah. I Oversaturated? <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's that, that um, retro neon that faux faux retro neon uh colors i don't you mean i do like it i, I like well, his like, eye it's like 80s miami or something it's like Ooh. what comes to mind like i always imagine like palm trees on the horizon whenever i see that i mean like hotline miami has yeah it. i was about to say you just always think about hotline miami. well hotline miami or uh uh miami connection too with bringing it from a game to a movie. Miami Vice. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, that shit, like anything that has like a synth track or is trying to hit like a, uh, like we want to do the 80s kind of mono keyboard sound, but we. Well, now you're talking about my boy Cliff Martinez. Yeah, well, not all of Cliff. I mean, Cliff how he's making his money. Man, I fucking regret not talking to that dude when he came out here. I did. We had a brief conversation. No, you didn't. Oh, yes, we did. Oksana, did he talk to Cliff? So Cliff and Nicholas Winding Refn were, I was on the outside of the aisle. Cliff Martinez was right there. We exchanged a few words. What'd you say? Chili peppers suck. That's between <laughs> me and him. I did. Yeah. I wanted to ask him about Captain Beefheart, and I do regret that. Yeah. Um, Ellen, they came out here for Neon Demon, and they Ooh. were at the Alamo. And um, I don't know what it was, but like, all the guests that came to that Alamo in that era would just hang out and they would just stand on the floor and talk to everybody. And it was both of them. And I was just like, I can't do it. And I left and I took somebody. I was like, hey, you need to go home. And I drove them home. <laughs> Did you meet him, Oksana? 
Yeah, I got stuff signed by them. Oh, my God. I'm a coward. He's tired. (laughs) Yes, I don't know. Ellen, whenever I think of, like, marketing a movie cover, I think of that. Like, where, because, you know, I'm also, like, a metal fan. And you can tell, like, dude, you want to talk about weird, unique marketing. Metal bands, like, the font that their name is written in can kind of denote the type of music you're getting into like from black metal to heavy metal to like thrash like there's a lot articulated in just that visual and i almost feel like that's it's still like persistent but it's also like kind of gone because i look at all the cover arts you've done and like clark said man you're you're fucking adaptable you're almost like a chameleon which is weird because it's almost like a humble way to be an artist like there's no ill in the art you're just doing what's best for the product and, yeah, and to live, and to live. Yeah, ideally, yeah, that's that. But um, yeah, it, it's how I've always looked at it. I don't. There's a few artists who I recognize that immediately when you see the artwork, it's like, oh, that's that person's artwork. And then secondary, it's like, well, what film is this? And then, <laughs> and then you get to the, the title of the film, and say, oh, okay, cool, obviously. Um, but. Uh, ideally, I want when someone sees it, I want them to firstly get a feel for what this film is immediately. What the I don't know emotional tether to the film is. You know, what am I supposed to be feeling when I see it? And then, and then at some point later, they might find out that it was me who did it. Um, but that's that's never been interesting to me. I guess um, I think I think I, it's, I have an issue with I, I kind of sometimes cringe at work that I did like six, seven, eight years ago, maybe. Um, so I don't, I don't know how I feel about people knowing that it's an Ilan. And it's only recently, like very, very recently, that people have started catching wind of um, like Blu-rays with specifically my artwork on the front. And I now have people who are hunting down covers just because I've done them. And that fills me with dread. <laughs> because, <laughs> because like sometimes I'll watch like an unboxing YouTube video and somebody will mention in the, vid- in the video, it's like, oh, this artwork was done by Ilan Sheeny, one of the best covers I've ever seen. Honestly, guys, you got to check this artist out. And I'm like, no, don't tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> like, not everything is this, not every cover is created equally. Everything is perfect in my mind for that film and what I wanted to do for that film. But that doesn't mean that because you'll love the cover to this splatter movie, you're also going to be like, oh, I mean, is, uh, is, is Tomb Raider Blu-ray cover look good too, I guess, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny because I've worked with so many artists and I've kind of learned that in my mind, I thought the, the, the fun of working with an artist would be like, hey, I have an idea. Bring it to life. Mm-hmm. And I would always get like pushback where it's like, no, that's not how this works. Tell me, Tell what, me to do. what you want. Mm. And I would be like, oh, okay. And then it's almost like I literally have to design the thing and then tell them, yeah, I want them to wear that kind of jacket. And, you know, when I was, when I've been working with uh, Ellen more like personally, I was kind of taken aback at how um, thoughtful you treat every project. And, you know, Ellen, God, you, you fucking crushed the poster for us last year for us. And, um, he kind of brought me through a gauntlet where, because I mean the other posters, I did all the like overlay and most of the design. And I was working with somebody who, you know, was a mercenary and was like, tell me what to do. 
So when I'm sitting here with Ilan, who's not only a great illustrator and artist, but he's also a fucking designer, he was just looking at the past art. And I have the best working relationship with him because I'm like, dude, you cannot hurt my feelings. You have to be blunt because we'll only do good if, if you are blunt. And it's rough. It's, he'll come in there and be like, well, you shouldn't have done that. Look at this. And I mean, honestly, I take it as like I get kind of like a personal class on like how to do this. Yeah. And dude, Ilan, man, I he's so thoughtful with the shit. Like he'll watch movies three times and be like, what was that thing? You don't have to mention the title. But I always think of this where he had gotten notes about um, how to design a cover and they wanted this girl to be topless. <laughs> but you're like, dude, she's not topless in the movie. <laughs> yeah, this is a German, a German release. And Germany have a very interesting system at the moment when it comes to physical media because they, they tend to sell out before they hit the shelves because you can't really have too much nudity on a Blu-ray cover. Um, but because they've been pre-selling it online on launch day, people like snap them up before, before they, they, the public actually gets to see it. So they want very striking, very bold. So if the film's gory, they want it gory. If there's, a, if there's even a whiff of something sexual happening in the movie, they want it on the cover right there. Uh, and they, they had it for this one particular movie. They wanted, like, it was a very sensitive movie. It's about, uh, it's about a, a missing child. <laughs> um, I, I'm not too worried about anyone hearing it because it is a German release, and I don't know how much Germany listens to listens no, to podcasts in other um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a story about a missing kid, and I went really super emotional and and um, moody with a kind of like a, a very very foggyish kind of like cover, and um, and you know there, there was some striking moments and some, and some striking characters, uh, and I decided to put uh, a female character from a kind of provocative scene, uh, but she wasn't nude; um, she was in a swimsuit. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, the comment came back just saying, make her naked. And I just thought that was it. Actually, to be fair, I got a collection of screen grabs of some of the weirdest, weirdest things uh, that I've ever got as a response. And so far, my favorite one uh, comes from Raven Banner uh, in Canada. And it was for uh, a film called Bunny the Killer Thing. Oh, um, yeah, I knew it. It, just, it, just, it was just one line it was just, as, a, as a comment, make the dick bigger. <laughs> um, but then there was a couple of lines of space and, know then, it. and then it elaborated saying silly big <laughs> and I was like alright <laughs> okay. now I mean for people who have seen that movie it makes sense Yeah. I, what, what, how did we watch that movie I believe we watched it at the Alamo too yeah it was a film festival what oh. a fucking bizarre film and I, I know just having worked with you, that you watched it three times to get that cover perfect. Well, to be fair, it was a very it was a very weird cover because it was a double bill with Sky Sharks. Um, so the cover had to be an amalgamation of both Sky Sharks and Bunny the Killer Thing in one image. Uh, so um, yeah, if you go online, you'll probably see see the image there. But dude. it was. Hey, as, as a as a Blu-ray collector, I want to tell you I appreciate that. I haven't looked at the cover, but you know what I fucking hate is double bill movies where they just have the poster cropped down and a 
bold line in between the two. Like, I think the first time I ever bought Troll and Troll 2 was at Suncoast for probably $34. And it had, the you know, just both covers. And the films have nothing to do with each other. So it's even, I don't know. I just, I learned to hate that shit. A lot of the times the movies were printed on each side of the disc, which is another downside. What do you prefer? Oh, I'd rather just have two physical things in there or maybe like a reversible cover or like what he did where it's a mashup. Yeah. Because then it becomes a unique thing. Mm. Oh, dude, that cover is fucking incredible. (laughs) Is it the the red image? Yeah. That's the red image that you've got there. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. That was crazy. So I had to do exploding airplanes. um, Just, yeah, it was just, it was a crazy image and I was really proud of that one. Dude, I'm Raven banner picking you up is one of the smartest things they've ever done because for like little boutique companies, I don't know. There's so many now and it's hard. Like as a Blu-ray collector, you really want to get behind them and be like, Oh, I love vinegar syndrome. They're my team or like, you know, Severin and uh, Raven's banner was one of the kind of fringy ones. But you know, when you did dead dicks, I instantly was like, Oh, they got some fucking good taste. Not only did they get one of our favorite artists, but they got some of our favorite directors. Yep. Uh, Ellen, we're looking at the cover now. Uh, yep. That's a silly big penis. <laughs> Don't say that's a third leg. That is a third leg. <laughs> There's no question. Also, it's a fucking incredible cover, though. Was that a, is that a slip cover or is that like a steel book? No, it's a, it's a slip cover. Uh, Raven Banner have done, uh, seen a lot of success and a lot of collectors uh, for their slip cases. Dude, uh, so. it's fucking, man. I've never seen a shark with a parachute. <laughs> Very good. Well, they are sky sharks. So why the fuck don't you get any Blu-rays out here in America? They're all international. What, you have Germany, Canada. What, have you done France? Uh, yeah, I've done one in France, um, a film called Biozombie from the 90s, which I highly recommend. Um, but... Yeah, it was it was a one-off. I, I think um, they contacted me directly because they saw some artwork I did for the screening of Tetsuo. Um, and because they specialize in uh, Asian cinema, they were like, we need to get that guy, which I was very flattered for. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the weirder thing is that I haven't done that much in the UK. <laughs> which is I where know. I'm from, you know? But only recently I've started working with Arrow, which was uh, you know, a client that I've wanted to work with for a while since I collect a lot of Arrow titles as well. Um, and to be fair, I think um, what's called a one-armed boxer is released only in the States. So I, I think I've, I've done more Arrow titles in the States than I have in, in the UK now. Oh, I didn't realize. I, you know, Arrow for me, um, they were always like the European competitor to like Scream Factory. So when when they came over, I I again there's there's a weird little tribalism there with me, and I don't really like yeah, fuck you, with Arrow. You default to hate. That is not true. Yeah, it's I've true. only got love, and does, does I mean, I, is Arrow an outsider to you? Is that is that what you're saying? Well, I it felt like the the market was already crowded, and when they first came over here, they were putting out titles that I had already owned from other boutiques that had. It was dude. Remember when um. Uh, Zombie 2 first came out and actually it might not be the case for you but Blue Underground put it out over here and I can't remember what other company did um, 
But I remember being at Best Buy when they actually used to carry physical media and had a lot of horror. They had a horror section. Uh-huh. And there were two that offered a different cover. One had a poster. And they both had different bonus features. And I just thought this is the most fucked up thing that's ever happened. <laughs> Stop was- toying with me, goddammit. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and who knew that that was going to be like the, the new wave after Ooh. that, like uh, after those like um, rubber evil dead cases came out. Like, oh, yeah, the screaming eye one where you press it down. Dude, I had them. Dude, oh, you had them? What happened? Uh, I, when I was a university student, I lent it to some, someone and, uh, oh. yeah, when we went in separate directions. Don't tell me it's worth loads now. It's just going to upset me. <laughs> no, um, I, it's, you know, it's weird. I don't think they're worth money, but they're kind of like a, uh, personal torture for every mm-hmm. collector because they're like the thing that kind of kicked it off mm-hmm. and they're, they're iconic, but they don't hold up. And mm-hmm. for a long time. In the Bay Area, we have moisture problems everywhere. And I've never had an issue. We moved into this house. It's a little bit drier. My Evil Dead 2 is like, it's disintegrating. I actually, I contacted uh, William Spataro, who's a special effects artist, and I'm like, how do I prevent this? And he, he was just like, he's like, hey, you're fucked. <laughs> like, I <should've, laughs> and he was like, the only thing you can do is put it in a Ziploc bag. Our man, Bill. Yeah. So I... Honestly, my, my original Evil Dead, which is signed by most of the cast, pretty good condition. Evil Dead 2, though, I'm, I might have to retire it. But, dude, what a fucking uh, horror story for all collectors. You, give, you lend people a certain amount, and when they stop coming back, you just become cold. Are yeah. you there? Do you, do you lend Blu-rays anymore? Um, to be honest, there aren't many people who borrow blu-rays anymore like there's a lot of talk about how physical media is dying and for us hardcore collectors it's like we don't see it nope. i don't talk about <laughs> but outside of my close-knit circle of horror and, and blu-ray fan friends who do i lend blu-rays to when's the last time you went to somebody with a physical blu-ray and say outside of your close friends you know what you need to watch this yeah, it's probably not the best market for that because it that happens over here. We're 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 outliers. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Ellen, I I'm sure you get it. Like it, you can see behind Clark in the um on his computer camera, there's videos behind him right there of Ooh. VHS tapes, and like the front room is turned into a theater. Like we Ooh. have a projector down there, and it's all of the movies that are out there on display. So we have people come over all the time who, you know, while we're getting shit ready or we're just like fucking around, they'll be fingering through shit and be like, hey, can I borrow that? And I. Yeah. Jasadi, I need my killing of a Chinese bookie back, please. Thank you. <laughs> Dude, there's a couple of movies that we gave out that I, I end up looking. I know I, I had three copies of Toad Road at one point. Someone I'm, has my Beaver trilogy. I'm down to one. Yeah. So. You know, Ilan, you're just moving around too much. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's, to be fair, it's, I mean, it's great that you've got that. But I think because I had the same thing when I was back in Liverpool. I had my own apartment. I had my own horror shelves as well with all the Blu-rays in, in one section. And I had all the VHSs in another. And it kind of, you kind of know what kind of, how close your friendship's going to be if when they come around for the first time, if they're just staring at the shelf or if they even oh, just yeah. walk over to the shelf. If they could sit in the front room and not walk over to there to see what kind of person I am uh, and to see what's missing, then 
is this going to be a long-term friendship? Because clearly, if you're not interested in, in what I have on my shelf, then I don't know what kind of what kind of conversations we're really going to have. You know what I mean? No, exactly. Um, and I guess, you know, you guys obviously have your the horror festival and the podcast as well. And over in Liverpool, we had the Liverpool Horror Fest and a couple of Liverpool Horror Club events. And when we have people who we want to kind of like be part of the team to help out of the events and stuff like that, they come around, they used to come around to mine, sit on the sofa, but then they'd spot something on the shelf and they'll get up and walk away. And I'd have like a sense of pride immediately <laughs> because I know I've got something. There's something on there. What is it? What did you spot? And I'm, so I could be dead proud of that. But here in Germany, I know again, now I've got my own shelf and I've got again, my own films again and stuff like that. And some of like Mary and my partner's friends come around and they'll just walk straight past it. And I'd be like, that's it. Not, uh, not going to be hanging out with you. <laughs> You're not going to be a friend in the future. See, I have, I have a unique problem. Because over here at the uh, Overlook Mountain compound, uh, you know, Clark lives here. Oksana lives here. We all, we have individual friends. And, you know, here's a good example. When Chris and Lee, the directors of Dead Dicks, came out. Um, did we ever tell you about that, Ellen? About how we got to know them. So they came out for, uh, we were going to screen, we were introing a movie at Another Hole in the Head, which is like the only really horror festival out here. And they flew out to be a part of their screening. Well, they got to their hotel and we're like, we're not staying here. <laughs> like the door lock was broken. There was like a dead body in front of it. They're just like, <laughs> is there anything else? And we're like, no, you come stay with us. And, uh, you know, I was working all week, but Clark, were you working from home at the time or? Uh, I was uh, door, just door dashing. You were door dashing. That's right. So I had the unique, horrible situation of true FOMO where we have two filmmakers from another uh, country coming in mm -hmm. and they uh, did exactly what you just described, where Chris was like just beeline right to the shelf. And he was just fingering through all of them. Like it was almost like a library and he would just pull them out. And he's like, what's up with this one? Could you not say fingering anymore? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to arouse you. I'm sorry. Well, so, know, okay. He was, he was thumbing through them. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> more interesting. <laughs> he was flicking the spines and, um, okay. He, you know, everything he found, he would just be like, what's up with this one. Now I, this bothered me. Because I was working nine to five. So I'd wake up, they'd be down there talking about a movie. And I'd be like, man, I bought that movie because I wanted to watch it with people because it's a weird one. And Chris knows his shit. And then I'd leave and Clark would be like, dude, it was great. I'd be like, you motherfucker. You watched so many cool shit. And like, that's how we came up with the term movie cup. I know. I hate that. That was a, I'm glad that segment is defunct it's now. It's coming back. So yeah, <laughs> I, at least you never had to do that. Where it was like people are into your collection, but then they enjoy it without you. Oh yeah, they, you know you can tell because I, I, I've had a few Zoom calls with uh, Lee and Chris, and as soon as the Zoom call starts, I'm looking behind them at like the framed alien poster or something like that, and you know I, in my mind it's like what happened to you to need, need that to be the poster behind you? You know what I mean? So you're immediately engaged in the conversation as soon as you ask there's an answer because like, oh, it was just really important and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's an area of conversation that never, never gets boring to me. Just knowing, knowing more about a guy or a person because of their film tastes and what was important to them. 
why I mean it's why I love listening to your podcast as well. You know, I, I like I might not necessarily ever watch the films <laughs> that you mention, not all of them, yeah. um, but just hearing your take on it, it you know I can kind of gauge where I would be. You know, the more you get to know a person's taste in films, I think the more you get to understand their soul. God, you just you just articulated another nightmare I have oh. where uh, you look behind somebody and you're like, oh, yeah, why'd you choose that? And I'll tell you, because I'm fucking lazy. All the shit up on the wall, like around us right now, like I have like one of the original Uff posters. And over here, I have a, a poster of Takashi Miike that he signed. And the only reason those are up there is because when we moved in here, it was easy for me to delegate how much uh, storage space we had if I just threw up art on the wall. I think the Takashi Miike one I put up, because that one's recent. We got that while we were living here. But like behind Clark, there's a wall of pop figures, which, wow, who knew they would take over for Beanie Babies and being like a depressing collectible? <laughs> so, you know, where's the Princess Diana? Pop figure. Oh, is that the one? Is that the Beanie yeah. Baby? Dude, I wonder if my mom has that. Oh, I don't know. The Princess Diana. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if any of them are worth anything anymore. I just saw that they released. I think, I think they just released a White Stripes one. And I'm like, who's, who's screaming for this? <laughs> you know, what's, what's happening, really? Ilan, <laughs> um, as a... As a- as an artist um, and a graphic artist at that, um, what is your what's your general thought of where we are with NFTs, and have you been commissioned to do any? Uh, <laughs> oh my god, you need to warn me about these kind of questions. <laughs> um, all right, so I started hearing the term NFTs going around, and I'm like, oh, what is this? And, and at first, it was like. I don't know, squares on a grid of the map of New York or something. And I was like, I don't know. I don't understand what this is. And then people were selling NFTs of football goals or something. And then I started seeing artists were selling NFTs. And I'm like, well, hang on. What's that mean? Because are they keeping their, their licensing rights? Because all artists, you know, anything that you make as an artist, you, have, you by default have the license rights uh, for it. Um, and, you know, it's not advisable to sell them ever. So what are these artists selling? And then you start kind of looking into what these things mean. And effectively, it means nothing. It's, <laughs> it means absolutely nothing. It's like, if, I guess if you, as an artist, want to, want to own, I don't know, you don't, what do you own? <laughs> that, that's a thing. It's like you don't own it. It's still my artwork. Yeah. I guess the only the only way that it could be truly an NFT, and I've thought about this, right, uh, is if you send someone the digital illustration and never post it yourself, right? So you have the right to be able to reveal it for the first time. If and if and in that case, it's up to you if you want to show anyone. But the second that you show people, then it loses all value. It's kind of it's it sounds like a scam, right? <laughs> yeah. Everything I've just said sounds like a scam. <laughs> Which is why I love it. <laughs> Everything's a hustle. Now I've I've heard yes. I've taken in a lot on NFTs because as a collector, it really like material and its value is such a complicated thing. 
Like the best example I've heard is an NFT is kind of like a baseball card where you could print out a baseball card on your printer and be like, hey, I have the same thing as you, but it's not really. And the argument against that is that you can hold a baseball card. Can you trade NFTs like baseball cards? You can trade them. That was the fun so of baseball cards. So they're basically like, um, think of an NFT. An NFT is to Ethereum, which is a crypto, right? Which would be like if somebody drew on a dollar bill. Like it's still a dollar bill, but it's a unique one now because there's like, you know, somebody drew some Illuminati shit on there or something. Well, it's also desecration of currents. So one of the, <laughs> one of the ways that people use uh, NFTs is just to diversify their Ethereum and give it a outside value, right? Because it is a cultural thing. So people will attain their own value. Like it's worth whatever people will pay. So you get like those yacht apes. And people yeah. spent thousands up to millions. And then like Seth Green got his stolen. I mean, good for him. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of that dude. But, you know, I, I think if you have anything in the NFT, here's the problem. Here we go. I think there's a new generation who don't really give a shit about material anything like we were just talking about with Blu-rays. And if uh, the Dark Lord Zuckerberg is correct and we do move into like a metaverse phase oh boy here's the thing if you could live in your virtual house and put up a you know an ill and nft that's a new form of uh importance maybe like people could visit your your social media in a 3d environment and be like yeah that's a fucking original um a bunny with the third leg you know and <laughs> and i mean i i hit up one of our prior guests and tried to talk him into making an nft and he was like oh dude i have them up i have a couple already and they were like beautiful high like very vibrant colors of uh, ufos landing and aliens walking out but because that market is so volatile when he made it like two ethereum was nothing but at the time it was like you know uh double digit thousands of dollars and i'm like well i can't i'm not gonna buy your nft for that i just wanted to put in an electric frame in the fucking podcast room that's kind of a joke yeah <laughs> So yeah, I don't. I don't know. I there. There might be a dark future where they're actually like art. Because at, at one point, I mean, I don't know if you've looked over me Facebook, my Uncle Frank Facebook account, but I uh, over the last six, seven years. Well, actually, you, you remember the first UFF poster I did for you with the um, oh yeah characters. Well, I've been doing them for a number of years. I love and that. I've got over one thousand individual horror characters illustrated in that style. Wow. And, and they just, and I mean, I have the intention of releasing a book at some point um, where it shows like a history of films through subgenres. So you get a hundred, a hundred char uh, characters from a hundred years of film, um, and yeah, you got these individual characters. So I've got a thousand characters sitting there, and I was thinking at the time about this NFT thing, and I was like, well, in theory, I could sell sell the NFT for each of these individually, but. I, I, I just couldn't do it because it just, it seems, it just seems scamish. It seems like, <laughs> because, because the value of it is so volatile because at the end of the day, if the person you are telling doesn't care about it, then the value to them is zero. <laughs> so you're yeah. there trying to tell somebody that this thing I'm holding in my hand is worth 20 million. And the other person's like, no, it's nothing. So between the two of you, who, 
And it's like, all right, fine. If you want to believe that's two, that's 20 million or whatever, then go be happy. But I'm telling you, that's worth nothing. But, but Ellen, I, I don't know if you know what's going on here in the States, but uh, <laughs> it's a little volatile in general. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, uh, let's party. Well, you know, let's roll the dice. I think so, the other side of that. You know what it is. You know what it is. Sorry. It's, it's everyone's perception of reality is changing. Oh, so, you, you know, it's like, like, especially with kind of, I, 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 I didn't want to bring up Trump, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like during, during, you know, these political rallies and somebody saying, oh no, this is the state of the world right now. And there's somebody else saying, no, this is the state of the world right now. And you can choose which reality yeah. you want to live in and which is nuts. And I don't, I don't understand how, how we can be all living in different parallel universes at the same time because you can't convince one side of the other's existence as well as you can convince yourself that you know what i mean it's just so bizarre and i don't like i don't like this this intangible idea of where we where we stand and where we, where we live whereas when it comes to my artwork i know there's a solid figure of what i'm asking someone to pay for it I still own the rights to it, so I can set the value to that. And if they don't want to pay for it, they won't pay for it. But I can still keep it because it's legally my right. And when it comes to NFTs, it's just so strange, so strange. And we don't need more strange, right? Yeah, well, I mean, imagine this. <laughs> the coolest 12-year-old in your neighborhood rides up on a board with a big rubber wheel in the middle and you're like, hey, dude, check out this cool Blu-ray I got. And See, he looks I, wouldn't st- I wouldn't stop a 12-year-old. <laughs> Let me stop you right there. <laughs> no, and, you know, and you're like, hey, check out this movie. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you don't hold. Like, first off, what's a movie? Because film is not film is a TikTok now. But also, like, physical media. Like, I, I imagine the, the reverse of this where the... Because, God, man, my, I grew up, both my parents collected. I mean, I made a joke about my mom collecting Beanie Babies. That's not a joke. She did. I have mm-hmm. Beanie Baby display cases in my room because she bought me a Winnie the Pooh graduation Beanie Baby <laughs> for uh, the year I graduated. And I, um, you know, I'm reading uh, Jodorowsky's book on psychomagic, and he has advice on how to get rid of cursed items like that. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> what, what did your dad collect? Because I know it's not shoes. <laughs> <laughs> he's barefoot so all the time how do you not know he brings it up every time anybody talks to him shitty dvds no he's got cases and cases of comic books downstairs oh that is he true. literally he's like oh i got dr strange 72 where or you know he's the guy that owns the uh hulk comic where wolverine appeared mm-hmm. and like it's you know it's one of those things where he's like i'm gonna get it graded we're gonna buy a house and i'm like i don't know if you've ever looked at the market but this kind of shit has fallen out yeah so i you know i'm worried that the next generation is gonna look at all my movies and be like why you could put those on a thumb drive and it's like your head yeah i have that issue too when i think about when i have kids because my video collection my dvd collection I, I look at it, you know, really, really proud because I'm, you know, I, I've been collecting VHS titles just with the artwork on the front that I remember as a kid uh, so yeah. that they have, they have an emotional connection with me. So I have them on the shelf and I know that one day my kids will grow up 
and go, what, what, what is this crap? <laughs> and, and, um, and it, it upsets me that my kids will never understand what a video shop is. They won't ever, and they won't, and also they won't understand what it means to have a single image representing a movie because I don't know, you, you know, if it's a film on Netflix, those pictures that they have, those thumbnail pictures, they change weekly. Yeah. So there's no one image that you can say that you remember for uh, his house, for example. Um, I don't know, there's just so many, uh, or, or Vampire in the Bronx or something. It's yeah. like the thumbnail changes constantly. So whatever image I have in my head might be completely different from yours. But we all know what Jaws looks like. And we all know what um, uh, the Shining poster looks like because they were they were integral at the time uh, in the eighties when you were renting these videos. What was on those shelves? Um, Gremlins as well. There's just so many great images. So I'm terrified that my kids will never fully understand the value of the job that I currently have. They'll be like, "What do you mean you you paint you painted pictures on a disc? No, no, it was the box art." What box? <laughs> Who has boxes on these things? You know. So I, I've, I mean, me and my partner Mario, we've, we were negotiating. Um, it, which, which was that film uh, where those kids are being brought up in a bunker? Is it Pleasantville or something? Um, oh, I don't know. What, what era? Um, Blast from the past. Blast from the past. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. So. I, I'm wondering if there's some way of concocting um, a universe <laughs> for my kids where these films and these, these things on the shelves are something that they see as daily, in daily life. And maybe even kind of like have it just out of view so they're not allowed to go in, not, they're not allowed to go in that room. And they'll see it because I don't know what, what your experiences were going around video shelves when you were a kid. But when they used to separate the horror section, and yeah, you know, sometimes your parents would be like, "You can ha- you can rent anything, just not that section." <laughs> someone, as someone 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 told me that it's like that's all I wanted to look at. And then when I was standing in that, like I, I'd stand at the last video in the drama section, knowing that this is all horror. And I, even though I'm standing there, I'm looking like that because I don't want my my dad to see that I'm looking at the horror films. But he's probably just like grinning and you know so proud of him or something. But I was just looking at the front covers of these horror films, and I used to think they were amazing. And I couldn't wait to one day watch those films. So horror films have always been an important thing for me because of the covers. And you know, now that the only people who care about the covers are collectors of physical media and uh, and fans of classical horror films, you know, I'm worried what I might have to do to make sure that my kids understand the value of that. Uh, NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> they, should have, they should have said that years ago. <laughs> dude, Zuckerberg, when he had... Dude, Randy actually brought it to us on the show. Remember, he, he was like, you can buy your own property in the digital in the digital. Oh, world. yeah. Earth 2, baby. Yeah, Earth 2. Yeah, so, Randy, don't you have some Earth 2 real estate? No, I don't. Oh, I thought about it, but I don't, I don't have any. I thought about buying buy- my old place in Oakland where my apartment was my god so here's what we do we buy some real estate in earth 2 and then we turn it into a video store and like netflix all the covers on the shelves will change periodically but then uh, the next generation can enjoy it and then you can have your cake how is this any different from when i was in when i was in uni 
for my girlfriend at the time for our like anniversary, I bought her a foot square on the surface of the moon, right? <laughs> and, and she said, oh, thanks. <laughs> like it was nothing. But at the time I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> We've got a foot, foot space on the moon. Talk, um, about, talk about like a, a bifracted reality. My but mom. That was, that was a thing, though. That, that you know, people were doing yeah. that. You could, you could buy a star for someone, star. right? Yeah. No, that's all still scams. Like no one's like, like yeah, you can register it on a website. It's like no, it's actually registered. You know, I paid to have it registered. It's official. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like what am I going to do? Charge uh, charge access tax or something when next time someone lands on there? I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's it just it makes no sense. But that's, that, that, I feel like NFTs are just an extension of that. Well, it, it's funny that you say they make no sense. As uh, my mother bought a star for my dad on one of their anniversaries, and you want to talk about living in two different realities. <laughs> my mom, who is like an empathetic, uh, she's where I get all my love of like horror and everything. And in her, this was like a valuable piece of like the universe and even though it's just represented by a piece of paper my dad had the uh illin approach though and went what the fuck is this <laughs> what am i also he's a sci-fi fan so you can even sprinkle in like you know this thing died like thousands of years ago right <laughs> what you're looking at is a ghost <laughs> the light from that star <laughs> so how how long have we gone i don't want to i know illin you're working on something are we getting close to an hour here? We're, we're at an hour. All right. Well, before we go, you, you mentioned being embarrassed of some of your work. So uh, can you give me like oh. a highs and lows? Like what, what are some of your favorite covers? What are some of your worst? He's not going to answer. <laughs> <laughs> he um, might. Okay. So the, the cover, like the, the one that I'm, I'm most cringy and I'm most ashamed of, um, to the point where I didn't even put it on the list of things that I did, was Escape Plan uh, with uh, Sylvester Stallone and yeah. Um, yeah. I think I was at a state, like, I was trying to do close-ups of the faces. Stop Googling it. No, don't pull it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, yeah, it's uh, through Astro if you do need to see the picture. Uh, and I was trying to do close-ups of the faces and I think I hadn't had enough uh, practice at extreme close-ups. And Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger don't, shouldn't be filled, shouldn't be imaged close up because they're not, you know what I mean? You can already see where I'm getting at. They're not the most um, aesthetically pleasing of faces. Um, and so when you've got these, this basically malformed <laughs> i'm sorry that's horrible uh, <laughs> that's word. Uh, but no they've, been, they've had a few punches to the face right so you know it's like so here's a close-up of that and uh and yeah i i didn't like it in the end there was a little bit of wit that i put it because i think my thing is I always try to find something witty and it's basically the ladder that runs up the middle was probably the, the most entertaining thing for me but i look at those faces and i, I kind of cringe a little bit um I think I was also a little bit um, overwhelmed because this is Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger that I'm illustrating, um, and it was very, very early on. So, yeah, I thought. Oh, let, let me stop you there. Anybody listening right now who actually Googled it, 
uh, you're probably thinking Illin is insane. That art looks perfectly fine. It, it's actually, you're doing kind of like a vertigo thing here, aren't you? Uh, like, the image, um, I wasn't picturing, I, I suppose, like a soul bass kind of thing. Yeah, um, where there's like a vanishing point, but it's not directly in the center of the, the screen. There's a, there's a moment, yeah, there's a moment in the movie where very early on, Stallone oh. thinks he's going to escape. Huh? I think I'm looking at the wrong cover. Oksana has one pulled up here. Now, is yours black and white? No. <laughs> no. It's, um, it's uh, very blue. It's blue. Okay. And it's got a little bit of red in there. Type in escape plan Astro as an A-S-T-R-O. Yeah. The one uh, Oksana had, it looks a little bit different. Yeah. Thanks. I can hear in your, in your lack of words. I can hear that. Uh, yeah. He's right. Everyone hey. lands right. It is crap. You know, next, <laughs> next time we work on something, I'm going to record you berating my art. <laughs> but anyway, so that was the one that I'm most embarrassed about. And I, I probably, if I could go back and do it again, I would. Um, in terms of the one that I'm most proud of, I think I'm always most proud of the one I've done more recently uh, because I do see the, each, each cover I do, I try and do something that I'm uncomfortable with to get to get to a point where I feel like I'm better now. Um, So I think very early on, I hated doing backgrounds. And then at some point I was asked to do a panoramic artwork for the Resident Evil box set that's just been revealed. And they wanted like broken skyscrapers and, uh, and you know, just hordes of zombies and, I mean, that was super intimidating. And also it's Resident Evil. So I was, I was kind of, yeah, I was kind of freaked out by that one, but I was really proud of it by the time I finished it. Um, so yeah, each time I do another cover, there's something more and more exciting that I do that, you know, busts me out of my comfort zone. Um, I think the one I'm most proud of at the moment is the cover to Jacob's wife. Oh yeah. Uh, because it has that, um, EC comics kind of um, oh, extremely dramatic vibe. Um, yeah, definitely pull that one up instead of instead of uh, Escape Plan. Um, and, and I really liked it as well because uh, somebody on YouTube did an unboxing of it, and uh, they pointed out all the little things that that I did subtly. So, for example, the hands of the vampire are in the shape of a heart. And the stake is pointing directly into it, and uh, you can't tell if uh, Barbara Crampton is working with or against her husband. So, you know, they, they pointed all that out, and I could see that they got at me. So, yeah, I think out of all the pieces that I've done, that one I'm most proud of. Uh, until next month, when I think uh, one of my covers, another cover is going to be revealed, and that one will be my most proud, I think. Man. So I believe when we were working on the of five poster, you had just finished the resident evil one. Am I, am I correct there? Um, no, resident evil. I think I finished like two years ago. I think I, I, it's been sitting there a while waiting for someone to release it, uh, because of the pandemic, but I can't remember, yeah. I, I can't remember what I was working on at the time, but I was definitely working on something stressful now. Cause I remember it's it was funny hearing you talk about not wanting to do like buildings and stuff because the architecture 
in the poster you made for us is like my favorite part. And I, it was funny because we worked with um, uh, our buddy who we talk about on here all the time, Jasadi, who's a photographer, videographer in the East Bay. And you actually sketched out a like overpass and like kind of like a scene that you wanted for him to like replicate. And hey, to Jasadi's credit, he nailed it too. And it came back like it, he took the picture at night. And I was like, hey, I think he probably wanted this in the morning because you can work more with the light. And when I sent it to you, you're like, nah, I have an idea now. And <laughs> it's incredible. Like, just the, like, you know, for me, I always thought, like, to be a, a real artist, you just had to have a canvas and oil painting. That was it. That's the, that's the, the top, the hardest thing, the best one. The, and I don't know. I saw you work with, like, an actual photo. And then you brought in what I called like a very like Ben Templesmith style to it. And I, I I don't know if it's to your credit or not, but it didn't strike me as like uncle Frank, but it was like, I was like blown away. I'm like, holy shit. Like we don't deserve this art. (laughs) It's incredible. Yeah. yeah, Thank you, man. Dude, you're so talented. I wish you would like sign your work. Uh, I, I will do a little less subtle in the future. I, I have had people complain and say that I should sign it because a lot of collectors do want to know whose artwork is on the cover, and I and when they put it that way, I agreed because I find it annoying when you're flicking through like a book on best posters from the eighties, and it says in the bottom like bottom left unnamed artist or still like that. I'm like, oh man, that's that's frustrating. So yeah, I am going to start making more of an effort, but I, I still like the idea of sneaking it in somewhere. Now, with the Resident Evil one, I think I can see it. It's over on the the left. Is it a, is it a kind of like a beigey brown kind of uh, desert look? Yeah, and in the f- bottom left corner, I, it looks like there are four black scribbles there. In the resin, are you talking about my signature? Are you talking about the artwork? yeah, your signature. Oh, maybe I don't. Re- I, I honestly, personally, I don't remember where I sign it either. It's the last thing I do, so it's like, where well, I wish I sneak it in, so no one, no one tells me to take it off. You know what I mean? Right, um, Mark, can you see that right there? It looks like it could be like an I or an L I. No, I think that's it because he told me he makes them kind of like scratchy and he usually hides them in like. Yeah, oh, I scratch it. I just use straight. Imagine get, having a pile of sticks and you just put I L A and then N. So it's very easy to sneak it in some textures in the arm or something like that. Yeah, because um, it looks like rebar coming out of a concrete slab. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, I I Dude, I was good at Where's Waldo. <laughs> I'm good oh, at okay. <laughs> All right. But just, I, so you know, no. just so you know, with the US, like, so because I did the Resident Evil poster, uh, uh, a, a box set, sorry, I worked out how to do deco- uh, um uh, destructive kind of buildings, like post-apocalyptic buildings with holes in them. So when you look at the UFF5 poster where the moon is, um, there's a build, there's an identical building um, to the Resident Evil box set. So the exact same technique that I used and I discovered when doing Resident Evil, I put in the UFF5 poster. Dude, fantastic. I love it. Now, uh, I, I looked at my notes and I do have one more question for you. Okay. Last one, I promise. You're, you're on a computer, right? Yeah. Or can you pull up uh, the. Is that a question? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, so 
uh, I got a lot of flack from our old uh, co-host on here, Justin, because I had uh, contributed $50 to the 31 Kickstarter for Rob Zombie. Now, my argument was that the original poster art looked very Frazetta, and uh, that was enough. And you're correct. Like, I didn't care that it was Rob Zombie or that the movie was, were, uh, was about clowns on Halloween. I was like, that poster sold me. So can you try and look that up? Do like Rob Zombie 31 uh, poster. I just want to get. Is it, is it the one, it's not the one with uh, Sherry Moon in the middle, is it? No, no. There's like two zombies. They look kind of like Depression era zombies. If you find it, put it in the chat. Oh, Send I could it do that. Me. Yeah. I, I always forget the chat. We've actually had guests uh, kind of like you right now who are being like held against their will. You're like right in oh. there. I got to go. And I'm like, I don't see that fucking chat. I found. Did you find oh, it? You don't mean the Simon Beasley one, do you? Is that Beasley? It might be. If you mean the Simon Beasley one, then yeah, that, I, I, I would have signed up for that too. That's definitely Simon Beasley. Oh my God. I feel lame for not reading. Is there a clown in the thing? middle of a cigarette, a cigar? And there's a. Like a it's a, oh no no that's something else completely sorry that's the 31 art department oh no that is yeah Rob Zombie 31 like, yeah I yeah. think that's the one yep yeah, it looks like a comic so book. there's a so there's a there's a there's a, a a dwarf with a chainsaw with the word pain on its forehead <laughs> what don't laugh it's so a, I, just <laughs> hearing it out loud makes me think uh, maybe I did pull the trigger a little bit too quickly <laughs> <laughs> It's but, just I mean, that, was, that was in the film. It just he, he was dressed as Hitler, right? That is true. <laughs> so you got what you paid. You got what you paid for, Russell. <laughs> well, there, I didn't see a fucking ripped clown with a cigar and a whip. There was no naked Frazetta woman laying on the floor, and well, next to him, totally. Oh yeah, sorry. I, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like okay. I just wanted confirmation that you thought it was a good idea that I would contribute to a project that was fronted by that. Uh, you know, the, the single poster to represent a movie, you can't go wrong with that poster. Until you uh, see the movie. Yeah, I mean, Turn your like, mic seeing that artwork is substantially better than the, the Sherry Moon zombie centered, centered image, um, which I never, I never really liked. Uh, the weird, it, it, looked, it always looked weird that she has a cat on her t-shirt. Um, <laughs> My, my face just keeps going to the cat. <laughs> with a, with a, have you, can you see that one? Oh my God. I didn't even realize it was a cat. Now I can't look away. Exactly. So once you've seen that, your face just keeps going to the cat on a chest. Um, yeah, I wasn't, I was never really, <laughs> I was never really keen on that one, but I never saw the, the Simon Beasley one, which, um, yeah, if I saw that, I would have signed up to it too. Funny enough, uh, Rob Zombie uh, did a short-run comic series called The Nail. Oh, I got it. Uh, yeah, yep. Simon Beasley did the covers to each of them. And the, yeah, the artwork on the front cover of each of them were amazing. And I can see how elements of The Nail became, became 31. Because I think The Nail was supposed to be a film. He was supposed to be directing yeah. it. But instead, yep. yeah, I think he ended up making... Making thirty-one instead. <laughs> was, that the, was that the question? Was the question? Would I have put money into? That? Yeah, I just, I just uh, wanted a uh, true legend in uh, art design to have my back there. So yeah, next time right. I get flack for contributing to a movie that I personally hate, uh, I can at least say, well, Ilan thought it was a good idea. 
Yeah, I mean, if I felt that Simon Beasley was involved in the project, I would have been excited by that. Um, but I believe he wasn't beyond no. doing that artwork. Yeah, just like Frazetta and Conan, he wanted no part of that movie. And just think if he was a part of it, it could have been incredible or he might have had no impact at all. <laughs> I don't know. What a poignant way to end. I know. <laughs> Well, Ellen, uh, again, man, it's always a blast to talk to you. It's been a little while, so we're glad to bring you on. And before we cut you loose, um, plug anything you want. Plug your website, anything you got going on. Now, yeah, well, I, I'm um, unclefrankproductions.com. Um, that's also my Instagram handle. Um, in terms of projects to plug, yeah, the Resident Evil box set is going on sale soon. Um, it's going to be in German and in English. They are media books, though, so they're going to be a bit chunky of a price, but still worth it for the artwork on it, right? Um, that's it, really. I don't really have any, um, any other new projects that uh, I have to plug yet, um, but well, watch this space. Hey, in the future, um, hit me up whenever you got something coming out over here, and I'll throw it up on the show, because, I, I mean, personally, I would like to get them, too. And I know Raven's Banner, I think you could just jump on the website and we can order in uh, America. It's not a big deal. But, man, I would love to get some of those uh, pre-sale German brutal covers you do, but I don't even know if that could happen. Um, well, I know you're sending me some stuff in the mail because you've got some UFF merch. So maybe I'll, I'll send some back as a, uh, oh. as a thank you. Oh, I've, got, I've, got, like, I've got multiple copies of each because the, the client tends to send me some. So, um, yeah, I can throw you some brutal ones back. Oh, dude, I'll owe you for... I mean, God, we already owe you, but... <laughs> Ilan, I love you, man. Sorry. Thanks, uh, man. thanks for having me and for whoever couldn't, couldn't do this this week uh, for letting me step in. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Statt. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye. <laughs>